Welcome back to QAV. This is episode 516. We're recording this on the, oh, look, the hour hand, uh, the minute hand is blocking the number. I think it's the 26th of, I think it's April today. I think it's 2022. I have no idea what's going on, but uh, what else is new? How are you, TK? Yeah, we've had a great time. We've had uh, lots of people staying with us. We had Jenny's sister and her daughter. We had Ruddy, uh, people coming around to watch the races. It's just been a great time. But they've all gone back now. Although Alex's boyfriend, Sean, comes in tonight. He's working in Sydney for a few days and staying with us. So, uh, But he won't be a problem. <laughs> no, he's a nice guy. Lovely guy. Nice, lovely guy, yeah. Good stuff. We do have a special guest on the line, but before we get to him, well, well, I'll welcome him, Chairman Mao from the Australian Shareholders Association, the Chairman Mao of the Australian Shareholders Association, Chairman Stephen Mab. Welcome back to QAV, Chairman Mab. Thank you very much. Honoured to be back and, uh, yeah, looking forward to having a, a quick chat today before you guys get on to more important things. You can tell us about the long march that you've been doing with the ASA. <laughs> Well, look, the big news that we have to cover, obviously, this week, uh, I'm sure everyone's heard this by now, is that Elon Musk is buying out QAV. <laughs> it's been a bit of a tense negotiation over the last couple of weeks. He upped his bid, 60-odd billion dollars, I think, was the last I heard, and we'd like to welcome Elon as our new overlord and master. <laughs> we had to sell out eventually. I mean, he wants to control everything. He couldn't. He didn't like us pointing out that growth stocks to the moon <laughs> will never work out in the, in the long term. And, hey, Netflix is down again this week as well, so uh, kind of poor playing out there for people to watch. Well, he hasn't bought that yet. When he buys that, he'll turn that around as well. Stephen Mab, I think you've been on the show since you've been chairman. How long have you been chairman now? Is it uh, since the beginning of this year or was it last year? I can't even remember. No, only since uh, March officially. So uh, I don't think I have been on the show since then, but uh, yeah, appreciate the invite back and uh, obviously been following lots of uh, what our regular QAV members and subscribers are posting in the chat and on the forums and all that kind of stuff. And there are a few things popping up there that I thought might be uh, you know helpful to have a quick chat about today. So uh, yeah, appreciate the invite. So in, uh, specifically, you wanted to talk about why it's important that we uh, don't be like Tony and blow off AGMs, <laughs> why we should vote in the AGMs. Because for those listeners who are new, Tony's position over the last few years of doing this show on voting in AGMs is he rarely bothers to get involved. Unless it's a, I think if, if it's a big issue, like something that particularly grabs your attention, you'll vote. But generally speaking, you don't tend to vote, Tony. Stephen seems to think that's a big mistake, big, huge, and he's going to, well, you guys are going to, you know, two men enter, one man leaves in the QAV dome. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, th I think the first thing I'd say is, well, TK is an extraordinary man. This is pretty ordinary or usual behaviour. Most most shareholders don't vote AGMs and, and don't bother. So uh, with that in mind, I just thought it might be worth mentioning what ASA or the Shareholders Association does there to help out if you are not that inclined to vote yourself or to bother with it all. So maybe kind of stepping back a second, if you're a shareholder, obviously you get the uh, the right to vote 
at each of your shares at an annual general meeting on the various resolutions that the company's putting up for, for shareholders to vote on. And as I said, mo- most people probably don't vote, it seems, but it's a bit like, I don't know, maybe it's a bit like democracy. If no one votes, you know, you kind of don't really get a say. So yeah, well, what ASA does is all volunteers, but we have a team of volunteers across the country that uh, are what we call company monitors. And those folks are just, you know, regular shareholders like all of us that are really interested in the companies and the governance of the companies and the way that they're kind of treating and uh, respecting their shareholders. So they'll go along to the AGMs and they will vote their own and or any other shareholders or or members of ASA's proxies if they would like us to. And what they'll do is they'll, they'll have a look at the annual report when the company puts it out. And then ideally, they'll go and have a meeting with the company before the annual general meeting. And that's something that, again, as a regular shareholder, you don't really get a lot of chance to do most of the time. You know, individual shareholders rarely get access to particularly bigger company management and boards. So the ASA monitor will, they'll normally meet with the chair of the company, maybe the the head of the remuneration committee from the board, maybe the company secretary, and they'll just talk through what it is that the company is proposing to have their shareholders vote on talk through the pros and cons of that, make sure they've got a really clear understanding. And then from there, write up a report and they'll put that report on our website where anyone that's a member can go and read what it is that the monitor has kind of determined from that meeting and from what the company's doing and recommend how you should should vote. And again, if you're not the kind of person that likes to vote or you couldn't be bothered or not, I wasn't, you know, I'd throw those letters in the mail when I first started getting them as well. You can allocate your votes to ASA and that ASA monitor will go and vote them on your behalf. It's all anonymous. We don't know who you are and how many shares you own and anything like that. The the registry controls it all. So Computer Share or Link or those various different people that you get or companies that you get the letters from, they'll just aggregate all that together and tell us on the day of the meeting, here you are, ASA monitor, you've got this many votes to vote on the day. So, you know, broadly speaking, that's kind of how the process works. If you're interested, I can kind of talk through a few of the hot issues, I suppose, that the monitors really focus on. Yeah, Steve, uh, maybe you could just take us through some of the mechanics of voting at AGMs. I mean, what putting a proxy in means, whether you give it to ASA, how do you do that, and or give it to the chairperson of the board? What's the difference? Just walk, walk us through that process. How do I do that? Yeah, absolutely. So the process itself normally is you'll get a letter or an email from the registry or sometimes the company if they're not using a registry with notice of the meeting and what the resolutions are and then asking you for your votes. And and if you don't vote, generally what happens is your votes will just be allocated to the chair of the meeting or the chair of the board. And typically the chair of the board is going to vote for whatever it is that they want to do. They're not, they're not going to think about each and every shareholder. They're just going to think through you know, what it is that, that, as the head of the board that they think should happen. So when you get those letters or those emails, you, you have the option to actually look at it all and go in and vote on each resolution, or you can just write in a, uh, a proxy. So that's where you could put in the chair of the meeting, which is the default option normally, or you could write in Australian Shareholders Association, for example, and not have to worry about all the issues. The Australian Shareholders Monitor would then just, based on what we think is in the best interests of retail shareholders, vote on each of those issues on, on your behalf. So it's pretty simple. You just write that in either on the email that you get or online or the paper form. There is another way you can do it too. So if you don't want to do that each and every time, you can do what's called a standing proxy where you fill out a form for all the companies you own and you send it off to the registry and say, here's the 20 companies, for example, that I own 
with your registry, I'd like to nominate the Shareholders Association as my standing proxy so that uh, I don't even have to bother each time I get the form. They'll just go and do that. Now, if you buy and sell a company, you have to update it because it's not default for you as a shareholder. It's based on the companies that you nominate with the registry when you fill that form out. So it's a bit clunky. We'd love it to be a lot easier. The registries and the ASX at the moment don't allow us to make it any easier. We are hoping when the new clearing system comes in, which is the current system being chess that most people know about, the ASX are trying to or planning to update that system. And once that's up and running, they've told us that it, it should be a lot easier just for, to, to make this a simple process and just have a standing proxy all the time that you could do online that covers everything. So hopefully down the, down the track, it'll get a bit easier. But in the meantime, either fill out that form and send it to the registries or you do it for each and every company each time they send you the, the voting form or the notice of meeting. So take, I guess, an average company if you can. How, how much of the vote would the ASA proxies control at an AGM? Yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, across the whole market, we generally vote around $4 billion worth of proxies a year. So it's a pretty big number. And for a lot of the companies, the ASA proxies will be in the top 20. So as an individual shareholder, you don't have a lot of of clout normally. But collectively, when all of the ASA members and other retail shareholders give us their proxies, we typically end up somewhere in that top 20 list of, of shares being voted. So, you know, while I wouldn't say it's enough to move the needle on every issue, there's times where the vote can be really close and 1% or 2% might be enough to, to move the outcome one way or the other, particularly on things like remuneration, where um, if you're not familiar, each year there's a what's called a non-binding vote on remuneration. So that's kind of the incentive plan and the salary plan for the management team, et cetera, and, and the company puts that to shareholders each year. It's not binding in the sense of how it's voted on doesn't necessarily mean the company has to change the plan. But what does have some teeth is a provision that was brought in a few years back, which essentially is called a strike. So if at least 25% of the shareholders vote against the remuneration plan because they're unhappy with how the management or the board's been rewarded or how misaligned it might be with shareholders, all those kinds of issues, if at least 25% of the shareholders vote against it and they get a first strike, that's recorded. And then the following year, if the same thing happens again and there's a second strike against remuneration report, the board or, or a number of board members can be spilled or a resolution can be put forward to spill the board. So it does have some teeth. There's this new way, if you like, that you know didn't exist 20, 30 years ago for shareholders to have their say when they're really unhappy with how management's being incentivized, rewarded, performing, et cetera. And it's, you know, it's very complex. It's the most difficult part of an annual report to read, I find, is the REM report. It's, it's not consistent across companies. And you know, as an individual shareholder, you're probably not that inclined to read through these for all the companies you own. And again, that's where ASA can help. The monitor that covers that company, and most monitors will only cover one or two companies a year because it is pretty hard and complex and, and time-consuming. They'll dig into all that detail for you and make a judgment call on whether the remuneration plan this year is fair and reasonable and, and looks after you as a small shareholder. So that's that's an issue where, you know, one or two percent of the vote that ASA might vote, for example, can have a meaningful difference on whether the remuneration plan records a strike or not. The other thing's directors. So I think the other major thing you you want to have your say on as a shareholder is whether the directors or the board members that are being put forward for election or re-election are um, a good fit for you as a shareholder and the company in general. So 
while the bar's a lot higher there, you know, you only have to get 50% plus of the vote, I think, to be elected. Most of the time, most of those directors get in with 98, 99% in favour. When you see a significant against vote, 10, 20% of shareholders voting against the director, that's normally a warning shot for the chair to say, shareholders are really not supportive or not happy about this person. And you may want to consider future director nominations and whether this person stands again in the future, for example. So even a few percent there can can sway the longer term thinking of the board and the chair around whether this director is a good good fit, for example, for this company. I think probably the only times I've ever voted in AGMs have been for the REM report, if I haven't, uh, if I've taken a dislike to the board in general, I think that's an important distinction to make. A REM report, perhaps, I'll, I'll be mischievous and say even deliberately, is difficult to read. I can be less mischievous and say that putting together a REM report, a REM incentive plan for a CEO can be a little complicated, but you know, it shouldn't be. It should just be get the share price up and that's it, get your, get your bonus. But they, they do make it more complicated than that. But if you do, you do have this way. I think these days people view the REM report firstly to say whether it's, it's a vote in favour or not of the board. And secondly, it's a vote in favour or not of the REM report. So the first one is probably the one that we all focus on. So yes, the very few times I've voted, and of course the ultimate vote is just selling your shares if you don't like what the board's doing, right? You don't have to sit around and, and you know, patiently try and sway their minds. Just sell your shares and move on. There's plenty of other companies. So the REM report, I think, is important. The other one, which I just want to highlight, which is important too, is mergers, acquisitions, and takeovers. So, I mean, take us through the mechanics of that. They often also have that 75% rule, and it's also a little bit more complicated because sometimes it's 75% of the people who are there or the votes cast at the time. So that's the other one where I voted in the past. I think the most recent time I voted, and probably the only time that I can recall, was when uh, Alasa Gold was proposing to merge with SSR mining in the US and it looked close and I thought, okay, maybe my vote will help it get over the line and I, and I put it in. But there are some special rules around that often too, aren't there? Exactly. Yeah. So again, when that comes up, you know, that's normally outside AGM season. It might come up at some other point during the year. Then the ASA monitor and, and our policy and advocacy people will take a look at it and then write a, you know, a thorough review of the situation for regular shareholders to, to read and, and make your decisions from. And it, I guess the segue there is capital raisings in general. So that's something else the monitors really focus on with the company to make sure that when a company does raise capital and, and issues new shares, that retail shareholders are getting a fair deal. They're getting the same deal as the big guys do, for example. And surprisingly, sometimes that doesn't happen. You would think that they would, but there's particularly below the, you know, the ASX 50, there's times where companies will raise capital and not give their retail or their small shareholders a chance at all to participate. So you're just instantly getting diluted when that happens, for example. It happened quite a bit during the COVID cough where some companies got into pretty quick financial trouble and had to raise capital quickly. And obviously, it's a lot easier for them to go to Macquarie or someone and you know, get a big institution to buy in than it is for the top, more time-consuming process to send out paperwork and, and letters and all that kind of stuff to their smaller shareholders. So look, if it's really a matter of survival and life and death for the company and they had to act incredibly urgently, ASA wouldn't normally ding them for that. But outside of that, where you're just raising capital for acquisitions, balance sheet strengthening, all the things that they, the companies would use it for, we expect that the retail shareholders get at least the same opportunity to participate and the same kind of discount 
as the bigger shareholders do. And when that doesn't happen, again, that's a time where we'd consider voting against the directors when they're up for re-election because they haven't acted in the best interest of their shareholders. And remember the job of particularly the independent directors is to represent all shareholders. It's not to look after management. So if you're an independent director on an ASX-listed board, your small shareholders are just as important to you as the management of the company, or they should be. And I'm not going to say that's always the, the way they think, but that's how they're supposed to think. They're supposed to be representing all shareholders and all stakeholders equally, not just the management of the company. So does that mean that you should be running for ASX boards as our independent director nominee, Steve, to look after us? I'm far too smart for that, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I don't have any, personally, I don't have any aspirations to do that. I think it is a pretty tough job. There's a lot of pressure and, you know, a lot of eyeballs and a lot of media scrutiny on you. So it's not something I'm personally that motivated by. I mean, ASA is a volunteer organization. So I'm doing all this, you know, with my spare time and because I think it's a, a good cause. And uh, like you, it concerns me when smaller, retail mum and dad shareholders aren't getting a fair deal or are getting overcharged or, you know, paying too much in fees, all those kinds of things. So that's the reason I've personally got pretty active within ASA to try and help out a little bit there if I could. But yeah, I, I do think just as people have been posting about voting and AGMs, oh, I get it. It's not something that everyone's going to dig into and read every report and vote on every issue. So the next best option, I think, is to either find someone that you, you trust that does do it, or if not, then look to the ASA as someone that could go and vote on your behalf. And the companies we cover, we don't cover every company because we don't have enough people, but, but we try and cover the top 200 plus companies. So all those companies with higher average daily trade on the QAV list, they're normally the companies that someone from ASA is going to be monitoring and, and voting. And, and you can see all of the policies on our website. So if you want to make sure that you're happy with them and you think we're representing you fairly, all that stuff is really clearly spelled out on the website around how we vote and what our policies are. And you can change it at any time. So if you decide you don't like it or you want to vote differently for one company or the other, you can do that too. It's not something that you can't change. You can change it you know, right up to a minute before the meeting kind of thing if you choose. You said before that the ASA reps can meet with the board or the chair of the, some of the subcommittees beforehand. What kind of reception do you get? Do they take you seriously or are you just a bother? I have to say very high level of respect from 95 plus percent of the companies I'd say that we cover. They, most of the companies do really want a positive relationship with their small shareholders. It's a PR nightmare for them if their small shareholders are being quoted in the press or the ASA is quoting them in the press. So most of the companies do really respect that conversation and, and give us the time to work through those things. Where you see, uh, I guess, the opposite maybe is where you've got boards or founders that don't really believe in good governance in general, and they're going to do it their way. And as you said, Tony, that's fine. If, if you know that going in and you're happy with someone running the company that way, buy the shares. If you're not, don't buy the shares. You know, that's my pragmatic approach to, to that kind of board or that kind of company. But also when companies come into the ASX 200 or 300, that's often a time where ASA can really help them shape better governance and better respect for their smaller shareholders. Because a lot of the time, those smaller companies, they just haven't had the contact or they haven't had to worry about what their smaller shareholders think. And when they get to the big leagues, if you like, a lot of the time, those first few meetings with those boards can be really helpful to them. And they're like, well, what are you guys looking for? And why do you look for that? And you know, how do we do that? And there's a few companies that I've monitored up in Queensland that after the first year of monitoring them in the subsequent couple of years, they have really improved how easily it is to read a report, how well they communicate, how they you know, have incentivized their management. So sometimes I think it may not be willful. It's just they haven't ever really had to worry about really 
transparent or super clear governance until they get to the big leagues. And then there's a company I'll, I'll talk about briefly, one called EML, which is Brisbane-based. It's an ASX 200 company. And I owned this company prior to my QAV conversion. This was a Motley Fool recommendation that I had bought. And um, the story had been great. We weren't covering them, so I volunteered to cover them. And I met, went and met with the board prior to the AGM. And they said a couple of things that kind of irked me a little bit, but they also, this was the year, the COVID year, 2020, they decided to use discretion to pay out a bunch of management bonuses when they hadn't hit the numbers using the COVID disruption as the excuse. Our manager, it wasn't our management's fault that COVID happened. And as a result, they've worked really hard and we're going to pay them their full bonuses anyway. Now, at that point in time, shareholders were down 40% for the year. So if you had held the shares for that full financial year, you, you were down a lot, and yet they were going to use discretion as a board to pay out management bonuses in full. And they were acquiring a business in Ireland called PFS, which they had renegotiated the deal after the COVID crash happened to, to buy it cheaper. And that was part of the justification they were using to pay out bonuses in full too, because management did such a good job with this renegotiation. Anyway, at the AGM that came up, they didn't get a strike, but there was a significant vote against the REM report. And I asked the question of the chair, why did you feel it was appropriate? And he basically said, oh, look, not only did we use discretion, but we'll use it again if we have to. We're in a competitive marketplace for people. So he was really saying, we don't have an incentive plan. We're just going to pay out bonuses in full, I think, regardless of whether we hit the numbers or not. And then Subsequently, a couple of months later, the Irish Central Bank announces an investigation into PFS for alleged money laundering. So the share price cratered because this acquisition that they'd made that was supposed to be you know, the, one of the key reasons management deserved a bigger bonus was now a very questionable purchase. And the share price has bounced up and down a little bit since then, but it hasn't really recovered. So I only mentioned that story to say if I hadn't have gone in and monitored them and then written up that report, I'm not sure some of that would have come out for small shareholders at the AGM and in the report afterwards. And some people did read that and it did change their minds, I think, on whether EML was a, was a good uh, investment at that point in time. Now, who knows? They might go gangbusters from here. I'm not casting any aspersions on them. Just using it as an example of that access to management and that deeper review of their REM structure and, and why they were using discretion to pay bonuses, for example. So that's an example, I guess, of something you get out of the monitoring process that you don't necessarily read anywhere else. Steve, I forgot to tell you, we're live streaming this to the market. Fantastic. <laughs> well, EML won't be happy because I just checked check their share price. They're down 38% today. Ooh. 38% today. <laughs> I don't know what the news is today, but they went down 40% when the ICB announced that, it, the Irish Central Bank announced the investigation. It was off 40% that day a year or so ago as well, so... Today, yeah, 38%. <laughs> That's not a good day. I don't know what's happened today. I don't hold them anymore. I mean, I sold them after the chair said that, right? Once I heard the chair of the board was saying, we'll use discretion to pay bonuses whenever we have to, for me, that was a, a yellow flag, if you like, to say, well, that's not really the kind of incentive structure and management style that I want as a shareholder, so I'll sell my shares. So again, each to their own, and some people you know, might love their prospects and might love them as a company and not worry about that stuff, that's fine. You need different views to make a market, obviously. But yeah, just as an example of how the monitors at times dig into these things and find out these things from first-hand access to the company and then can report on it back to members and, and retail shareholders. 
what are the hot button issues this AG and what are the three things that we should focus on? Which three companies, what three issues? Because, you know, I'm an ASA subscriber and I get the reports, but, but they're, they can be very detailed and bland as much as the company announcements about the AGMs are detailed and bland. But pick the eyes out of it for us and tell us what to focus on. Yeah, so look, our focus issues for this year, as always, are remuneration. So, you know, that'll probably always be one, just honing in on the remuneration and making sure it's fair and reasonable. Directors, as always, is the other one. And then this year, we've added in ESG for the first time. So this will be the first time ASA starts reporting to members on, well, particularly the ENS. I mean, G, the governance part of ESG, that's something ASA already does. That's what all this is really about. But the environmental and the social side of it, that's obviously become a really big trend and and topic in the investment industry. And um, up until now, ASA hasn't really had a position or a policy around that. So what we're going to start doing is asking the companies the questions on what it is that they're measuring and reporting around their environmental and their social numbers. And as the industry standards emerge, there isn't necessarily a lot of great standards that the whole industry is using, like gap accounting principles, for example, that's really easy. Not, not easy, but it's the standard, if you know what I mean. On ENS, there's less of a standard. So, so there's some things emerging. Whatever emerges as the default position or the gold position, ASA will report to members in our annual company reports on what the company's saying and doing. We're not going to tell you you should or shouldn't buy a coal company or an oil company, which is great news for QAV subscribers, obviously. So it won't be about, is this a good investment? It'll just be, what's Beach Energy saying about their carbon impact and their carbon plans and any stranded assets and you know whatever the company is reporting? And then how's that measuring up against the standards? So you'll start to get that going forward. This will be the first year, so it's a first step. I'm sure it won't be perfect. Our monitors are not going to be experts on everything to do with environmental and social standards, but they are going to start to report on what the companies are saying and doing around it. And I think that's important because I was at the Directors Summit earlier this year down in Melbourne and Joe Longo, who's the new head of ASIC, was there and he gave an hour-long keynote to the audience. It was the same day they were announcing that they weren't going to prosecute Crown Directors, which was interesting. And I think James Shipton, who was the previous ASIC chair, one of his philosophies, I believe, was, you know, why not litigate? So they were very litigious previously. ASIC would, would be happy to take you to court and, and try and win a case against you. And Longo basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but we're going to be a bit less litigious. We, we're not taking the Crown directors to court, not because we don't think they did anything wrong, but because we don't think we're necessarily going to win the case. And it's, you know, taxpayers' money taking these cases to court. If we don't win them, then uh, that's a waste of, of taxpayers' money, essentially. So they look like they're going to be a bit more consultative, was my takeaway. But what he did say was there's two things we're turning our attention to. Whistleblowing policies, which are, you know, do they have teeth? Are they actually genuine whistleblowing policies? Can people within the company genuinely raise an issue without fear? And does the policy work? And the second thing is greenwashing. And I thought, well, that's really interesting that the ASIC chair is calling out that they are turning their attention to greenwashing, which is essentially all companies and especially listed companies making out that they're doing a lot better job in these areas than maybe they are. And listening to a lot of the presentations at that same summit from ASX chairs and CEOs, they were all presenting very positive or optimistic or polished 
stories around what progress or what they were doing to um, reduce their climate impacts and, and make the world a better place. And I've got no idea whether each of them was true or not, but it seems to me that Joe Longo and ASIC have, have decided or, or have an inkling that maybe some of it's exaggerated or some of it's a little bit of spin and uh, and they're going to turn their attention to it, which I, I think is a great thing. If they're, if they're going to hold companies more accountable and keep them more honest, that's a good thing for all of us as smaller shareholders probably. So uh, they're probably the big things that we're going to focus on this year. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, greenwashing. I mean, the obvious one that gets up my nose is when uh, a big company like a Rio or a BHP sell off a, their coal mines and say, see, we're carbon neutral now. <laughs> you know, all I've done is sell it to somebody else. The mine still operates. The world's still suffering from the emissions that that mine makes, but they, they claim themselves to be ESG heroes. It's just rubbish. Exactly. Well, Ken McKenzie, the BHP chair, he was at that same meeting and he gave a keynote as well. And that question came up. Why did you divest your, your thermal coal assets, I think it was, or and or the oil assets? And he said, oh, it was purely an economic decision. We just didn't think we were going to get the returns in those assets going forward, but we've kept our coking coal because we believe that's critical to decarbonisation. The world's going to need more steel without the coking coal to go with the iron ore. We can't make the steel to decarbonise. So that was his explanation around that. But I think if you, you know, as, as we all know, if you've seen the price of oil and coal lately, it's, uh, it was a questionable economic decision if you're using that. And that is the basis for it as well. Anyway, who knows what will happen from here? Well, that's good. Well, thanks, Steve. People should consider writing Australian Shareholders Association on their proxy forms. I'm going to call you guys the Nookie Bar kids from now on. You're out there fighting the good fight. You're the front line for us retail shareholders. So uh, well done. Trying our best, trying our best. Thank you. And one thing we are going to do, which Cam will send out some info I'm sure on, is um, all, all QAV subscribers, we're happy to offer a, a complimentary 12-month membership. So anyone that is interested, I'm sure Cam will send some details out to you in the next week or two on how you could take up that offer. And you could try ASA out risk-free for 12 months and you know, kind of get these reports and read the magazine and all that kind of stuff and, and see if you find it any of it helpful or not. Nothing in conflict with QAV, of course, but, uh, <laughs> but if anyone is interested, you'll, you'll get that offer soon and uh, feel free to give us a try. Yeah, great. Thank you. No problems. Before you go, Steve, I did go on Facebook a few days ago and ask if anyone had any questions for you. I've only got one question. This is from somebody called Anonymous CEO. Uh, <laughs> What is the official amount of unmarked bills in a brown paper bag required to encourage an ASA monitor to vote correctly? I heard it was 10,000, but my monitor keeps coming back for more. I'd appreciate your guidance on this matter because my new yacht isn't going to buy itself. Please advise your account number in the Cayman Islands. Thanks. Well, that monitor obviously wasn't me because my fee is much higher than that. No, look, everyone, it's, it's a good question. We do disclose on the report whether the monitor owns any shares in the company or not, because that's important, right? So some of, the, some of the monitors do hold shares in the companies that they cover. They've got an interest, and that's disclosed on the, the voting form. But we have a quality process where our policy and advocacy manager and our state chairs read every report before it gets published. So even if you, you, know, you might have been a little biased or you particularly liked the company, 
if you write up a report that doesn't match the guidelines and the standards of ASA, it's very unlikely that it's going to get through and get published. So I'm not saying we never make a mistake and, and that everything's black and white. There's gray areas at times. But for the most part, yeah, there's a pretty good uh, quality check process there before anything gets published that may not be accurate or, uh, or fair. Well, Tony and I are excited to announce the launch of QAV ASA Watch. It's a new service that we're launching where we're going to monitor the monitors Fantastic. of the ASA and make they just go through their bank accounts and look at their lifestyle and try and make sure, eh, where do they get that Porsche from? <laughs> where did that come from exactly? I think you might be talking about the Austrian Shareholders Association because I don't think the Australian Shareholders Association monitors have too many Porsches. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Well, good luck with the cultural revolution at the ASA, Stephen. I hope it all goes very well for you and... Uh, the proletariat uh, does well out of it. Fingers crossed. Now, look, much appreciated. Appreciate the time and, and the chat and uh, and more importantly, appreciate all of the great investing wisdom you guys are passing on every week. I know I certainly appreciate it and I'm sure everyone else does too. So, yeah, keep up the good work and thanks very much from me. And our next lunch is on the ASA, obviously. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Well, that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. There's also a premium episode that goes out each week. Um, this week, premium episode runs for about an extra hour, and that's where Tony does Q&A from our club members, answers their investing questions. Um, you know, This week, for example, uh, in the Q&A section, we're talking about the Berkshire Hathaway AGM the impact of China's lockdown, Netflix's stock price collapse, and uh, you know how that has sort of played out, and uh, the, the the lessons that we can learn from that, I guess. PGL is a tech stock which is on our buy list. Uh, that doesn't happen very often, so we talk about that. The Solomons and China, and the uh, potential investing implications of all of that business. The BHP Woodside Petroleum demerger. Uh, portfolios with overexposure to mining in China, whether or not that we should be concerned. What do we do with stocks that go nowhere? Why Tony prefers dumping his money in an LIC instead of an ETF in case of emergency, something he talked about last week. The importance of earnings per share growth to our checklist. The differences between return on invested capital and return on equity and the qualified opinion that the auditors have given AMP. So that's the kind of stuff that we talk about in the premium episodes. If you want to check out our full-length episodes, uh, sign up to QAV Club. Go to our website, qavpodcast.com.au. Sign up for the two-week free trial to the club. You get access to not only the full-length episodes, but the checklist, the Getting Started Guide, aka the Bible, uh, video content. And if you you know get through your two-week trial and you want to be a full-time member, you also get access to our VIP dinners that we have. We're having one in Brisbane. Uh, Tony's coming up at the end of May. And we might do one in Sydney before then, actually. Um, and, you know, uh, you get access to Zoom calls and videos and all sorts of other stuff. The Facebook group uh, where all of our club members get together and each day and talk about what's going on in the marketplace, how to navigate our way through the events of the day. Uh, so check that out. If... Uh, you, you like the idea of value investing, but uh, you don't think that you're ready to uh, you know, in, learn a system and, and execute a system by yourself. 
Um, check out QAV Light, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. This is our service that we launched a couple of months ago where we send you, if you're a member, QAV Light member, we send you two stock tips every Monday, which you can then just go and buy. It's based on Tony's analysis of our checklist. And we'll also tell you when you should sell them as well because uh, we track them and when they breach one of our selling conditions, we'll let you know. All you need to do is buy and sell. So uh, check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light if that sounds like something that might be right for you. Otherwise, keep listening to the free episodes and uh, have a great week. Good luck with your investing. The QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217182. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.